May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. There is this um, commercial on television right now that looks like the final scene of a Western movie. Jesse is saying goodbye to Daisy because he's a loner. And a loner's got to be alone, he says. And then he mounts his horse, even though Daisy is in inconsolable grief. Tips his hat to her and he rides off into the sunset. And the words, the end, appear on the screen. But as he gets closer to the words, perhaps you've seen this commercial, one of the corners of the letters hits him in the head and he falls off his horse. And, and the young lady, Daisy, looks at him and she's just kind of dumbfounded by this. I've seen that commercial, I don't know how many, it's like you, you know, scores and scores of times. It never gets old. I always love it. I love to see this thing over and over. You know how sometimes you see them and you're like, oh, not this again. You know, especially if you like sports like I do. It seems like Budweiser and Miller Lite and Pfizer are the only people who have advertising dollars to spend, and they have lots of them, and they spend it over and over and over again on these um, commercials that they play during sporting events. But I never tire of the, of the Daisy and Jesse commercial. Uh, the, the same insurance company has another one on television where, um, where this guy finds this old lamp, and he rubs it, and the genie comes out, and the genie says, one witch. And the guy says, great, a million bucks. And suddenly, there are antlered deer all over his room and in the yard and everywhere else, which I love as well. I mean, there's something about a good literal joke that just really gets me. Um, maybe you heard about the kid uh, whose teacher asked him, um, what ended in 1896? And the boy responded, 1895. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. Um, the next time someone asks you, how would you describe yourself? I think you should respond with appropriate adjectives. That would be a good way to describe yourself, wouldn't it? With appropriate... <laughs> Rich got that one. Yeah, that, I like that. Um, or, or how about this one? It, it's hard to explain puns to kleptomaniacs because they always take everything literally. Yeah. I love a, a good literal joke. I mean, I think those are, those are great. And, you know, the same thing. Words can be funny. The little play on words. Words can also be powerful, can't they? Words can be used to, uh, to get people to do amazing things. You know, there's, there's, never a, there's never a football game that doesn't begin with a coach coming out and giving some great words, you know. Uh, uh, I remember a friend of mine was a basketball coach, a high school team, one time, and, and he was going to go in, and instead of using words, he decided to use actions. And he was going to drop kick the chalkboard. You know, they had one of them stand-up chalkboards, and he was just going to kick it, knock it over, and just, you know, kind of come in raging, angry. And he missed, and he landed on the ground. And you know, it was all his players could do to keep from, you know, laughing in hysterics. Use your words. <laughs> words are powerful. Words can, um, they, can, uh, they can cause people to fall in love. You know, you, can, you could, a, a rightly phrased query can get a man to get up and take the garbage out. I mean, there's a miracle right there, right? There's a, there, are, there are words can be used. We can obligate ourselves in legally binding contracts. I think that's right. I'll have to check with how later. But I'm pretty sure that an oral contract does have some weight of law. Um, we, can, we can yell at umpires when they make bad calls. We can, we can yell at inanimate objects, you know, whenever we feel like it. But words aren't just used to flatter or to motivate Words can also be used to inflict pain, can't they? We can use words, and they can be so powerful 
that they can hurt. You remember that schoolyard phrase you used to say um, to the bullies, right? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And you knew when you were saying it that it sounded clever, but it was like a complete and total lie because words, in fact, do hurt. They can hurt more deeply than sticks or stones. You can carry words for years, decades, a long time. Um, Ask any parent of a teenager. Ask any teenager. (laughs) Ask any wife or husband who have spoken harsh words. Any child, a pastor. Ask anyone who's ever been fired from their job. Words can hurt. We know they hurt. And we know that they are some of, in fact, some of the earliest weapons we can get hold of. I was thinking just the other day about one of my children. I won't tell you who. Um, one of my children, oh, the one's out, the others are working, so we're pretty safe anyway. But uh, just so you don't know, one of them, when they were little, it was a boy, um, they, he, he, he was about three. And, um, and this kid was sort of addicted to television. I couldn't, you know, we'd have to pull him away, turn it off. And, and one day I went in, you know, I said, no more. No more television, Dietrich. No, whatever his name was. Um, no more. And, um, and, I, and I turned it off and go play the toys outside, whatever. And he would get frustrated. You know, he'd throw these little temper tantrums like three-year-olds are wont to do. And he looked at me and he said, you're a bad daddy. <laughs> How did he know instinctively at, at such a young age to use words to, you know, do a qualitative assessment of my parenting skills and to inflict pain? I mean, it's just intuitive that we know that words can be weapons. They can hurt far worse than six or stones ever could. The gospel lesson troubles me. And if you've ever read it before, it should trouble you. This is perhaps the most un-Jesus-like Jesus moment in all of the Gospels. A woman comes to him. Her daughter is possessed by an evil spirit. She is so desperate that she sought him out when he's trying to hide from people. And she comes to him in her moment of desperation and asks for his help. Um, She is in a great need. There is nothing she could do for her daughter I assume she's been through all the the regular means of of therapy and nothing seems to be helped. And she comes to Jesus in her moment of desperation. Mark, the writer, tells us a little bit about the woman, that she is Syrophoenician, she is a Gentile. Uh, Mark knows that we know that Jesus is a Jew. And so there are some cultural issues at work here below the surface that if if you didn't know right away, you should know. One is, is that, is that um, orthodox, uh, conservative, kind of uh, conscientious Jews had no dealings whatsoever with Gentiles. They would avoid them at all costs, live in a different city. They would avoid them at, at, you know, in marketplaces. They would have no dealings whatsoever with them. What's more... This is not only a Gentile, but she's a Gentile woman. A conscientious Jewish male, a a religious Jewish male, would not speak to any woman in public, not even his own wife. Man, can you imagine that? You're walking through the marketplace. No conversations whatsoever. No, we're not talking. And so here you have Jesus 
being approached by this woman, this Gentile, what every Jew would view as a pagan woman, coming to him and asking for his help, pleading with him. The text says she begged him. It's actually, um, it's kind of a tricky uh, translation. It's, a, it's the imperfect of asking. So it's, it's asking and asking. She kept asking him, will you help me? And this is where you get the harshest words, I think, um, maybe that you've ever heard in all of the Gospels. Verse 27, and Jesus says to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take children's bread and throw it to the dog. Ouch. I mean, you get the inference, don't you? That she's the dog, right? She's the one that he's referring to. Um, he's saying, at least implying, get away from me, you Gentile woman. This is not, this is not right for me to, to enter into some sort of uh, help for you. We are, we are different, we're different social classes. We are different uh, genders. It, it's not right for you to talk to me. And if you think that that this is um, not what he's saying. You were alone in your interpretation. Let me just give you three um, uh, common um, commentary sets on. Uh, David Henson says, Jesus uttered an ethnic, ethnic slur. Suzanne Guthrie writes, Jesus rejected the Syrophoenician woman's entreaty to cure her daughter because she does not belong to his people. And the Australian Aaron Pryor says, calling Gentiles dog was a, Jewish form of, was a form of Jewish abuse. Today we call it racism. This woman comes to Jesus, and he says some very harsh words to me, to her. But what amazes me, and probably should amaze you, is that she remains undeterred. She does not, well, you know, sour grapes. She probably couldn't have done anything anyway. Or, you know, who are you to say that to me? You know, none of this sort of thing. She rather doubles down, doesn't she? But she answered him, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, you're right. I agree with you. Yes, sir, sure. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. She's undeterred. She doesn't give up. I'll take scraps. All you have is scraps. Give me the scraps. I'll take those. Why would she say this? Well, you know why. She's desperate. This is her daughter. Her daughter's life and well-being are at stake, and she's desperate to, to have healing. And in her desperation, she just keeps coming. And her persistence pays off, doesn't it? Still, I, I couldn't get by the words of Jesus. I mean, I, I for years, looked over these and it, it just troubled me. Um, and I even asked a friend of mine, I'm like, what do you think about this? And, and he was a, you know, he had been to seminary, he was a, a, a minister. And he says, well, I think it just shows that Jesus was human. But that's not satisfying to me. That, that certainly doesn't satisfy me at all. And in fact, it's only when I began to think about another question, why would Mark, the gospel writer, write this down? And therein was the clue. You see, Mark is writing to an audience that he expects to be peopled with many Gentiles. He expects Gentiles to read this. And I think that Mark thinks that when they read this, they're going to be as shocked as you and I. They will hear this and wonder, why is he saying this? But they will hold it in context. They won't read this passage, like we did today, out of context with a passage that preceded it. Where Jesus is talking about the things that defile a person. And remember what he says? It's not what goes into a person that defiles them, it's what comes out. Now, if you read the Gospel of Mark really closely, you would see that he has a love for irony. 
And I think in here, I think he sort of makes Jesus sort of say tongue-in-cheek, ironically, what was on the minds of all his friends. Send her away. Tell her what we think about her. Get along. And so Mark puts on the lips of Jesus, or Jesus actually says these things, not because he really means them, but because he wants, it to see, wants people to see what it looks like when they say things like this. How utterly disgusting. How foul it is to call people names, to say things like, you dog. And how much sweeter it is, how pleasant it is when Jesus says to her, go your way. Your child's been healed. I mean, how, how, what a rush of excitement there must have been in that moment. You see, I think what Jesus is doing is he moves from declaring all foods clean in the earlier part of chapter 7, and in chapter, that latter half of it, he's declaring all people clean. There's no such thing as insiders and outsiders. That every single person is an object of God's love and desire. That he seeks, seeks out every one of us no matter where we've been or where we've come from or what we do. So it kind of comes back on us, doesn't it? How do we use our words? Do we use the same words all the time or different kinds of words with different kinds of people? Do we speak kindly to our friends and harshly to those that we don't know? Do we treat the people that we love the same way we treat the people who serve us food at a restaurant? Do we, do we speak kindly in every opportunity we have? Do we use kindness to make friends and to bring grace to, the, to our hearers? How do we deal with people who disagree with us about issues like sports? I mean, who really wants a Michigan fan around, really? Um, or, um, sorry if any of you wants Michigan. Uh, or, or, or business or politics. How, do we still speak kindly even in those situations? What do we do with the outsider, the one that feels like they don't fit in? Do we castigate them and tell them how wrong they are? Or do we embrace them and say, there's a place for you here? You know, I think that people in the world who aren't part of the church, they understand the divide. And when they come to us because their child has leukemia, their aunt has emphysema, or their grandfather is dying... That's not an opportunity to say, well, you should have been living closer to God. <laughs> it's an opportunity for us to say, oh, let us pray for them. But when they come to us and they say, well, you know, I don't really understand why the church believes this or that. It's an opportunity to say, well, if you don't believe it, then you're going to hell. No, it's an opportunity for us to say, oh, I can see how you can be confused about that. Let's study. Let's think together. Let's pray about this and be open. You see, our words can be sharp and cutting or they can be inviting and gentle. They can be full of venom or they can be full of grace. How we use our words, it matters. And it reminds me of some of the best words I've ever heard. And they come from the pen of the prophet Isaiah. Where Isaiah says, come, all you who are thirsty. Come, all you who are hungry. Buy food and wine without price or without cost. Come. The words of our Lord Jesus who says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. I think those are some really good words. Don't you? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.